Hey, welcome to church. My name is Patrick and I serve here uh, at Sovereign Grace uh, looking after community life. If you are new to Sovereign Grace this morning, you have arrived in the middle of a series that we're doing on the Ten Commandments. Uh, And so I just want you to kind of have that in your mind as you sit here and listen. We believe in the authority of Scripture and we as a church want to sit under God's Word and we want Him to address us through His living and active Word. And so we are working through as a church the book of Exodus. We have now come to the ninth commandment and um, I would appreciate if you have your Bible to take that and turn to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, um, we do have Bibles here that you're able to um, have as a gift. Um, The scripture will also come up on the um, screen or on the wall there. But we're going to look at Exodus 20. And what we have seen so far as we have been looking through the letter of Exodus or the book of Exodus is that God has a gracious path of life for us. And here we are going to look at the ninth commandment. A holy God is speaking to his people. So Exodus 20, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over to verse 16 if you're following along in your Bible. So here we go. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look across or down or up to verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Would you pray with me? It is absolutely scandalous that a holy God would make a way for people to be at peace with him. And this morning, as we open up this living and active word and hear from a holy and just God and hear a commandment that you have for your people, Father, we are able to be tempted. We are weak. And so, Lord, would you help us this morning to hear from you? Please be merciful to us. Be kind to us as we read and hear this word explained. And Lord, would all glory go to you who made a way for us to be at peace with you. You've provided a gracious path for life. And so Lord, please help us to see grace along the path. In Jesus' wonderful and matchless name I pray, amen. You know, we live in an age, we live in a time where uh, character assassination is everywhere. We see it online. We see it and hear it in the news. We read it on social medias. They happen in open conversations. They happen in private conversations. These conversations can take place in the school hallways They can take place in the offices that we have been given to do our work. They can happen sometimes in churches as well. What do we do? Where should we go to get an understanding of how we are to use our words? Friends, I want to tell you, we have a source that is wise and for our good. It is for our protection. 
Here in God's word, he tells us how to view our words. How do you think God would have us think about falsehoods? We, I think, become very indifferent to the plague of lying and falsehoods. And yet, on this gracious path of life, God has given his people, through Moses, the ninth commandment. This commandment, I want you to know, offers us discernment. It's going to give us courage. It intends, this commandment intends to reach into all of our relationships and provide an authority over every single conversation that we have. It's designed to shape us personally, but also it's designed to inform us as a church body. This commandment, as you read it and as you studied it, study it, it searches you out. It searches you out and it finds you and it calls you and it invites you to love that which is true. And so this morning, I want to help us see that we are called to tell the truth. We're called to tell the truth in three ways. We're called to tell the truth in court. We're called to tell the truth in our everyday life. And we're called to tell the truth as Christians. As followers of Jesus, we are called to tell the truth. So let's think about this first commandment, tell the truth in the courtroom. You see, the language of this commandment you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This language suggests a legal setting. So a false testimony of a witness can lead to the punishment of another Israelite in the community. This commandment actually encourages the Israelites to, hey, have a look around at your community. See the others in your community that you're actually doing life with. You're sharing a concern for. You want to protect them from injustices, verbal injustices. Imagine for a moment, folks, that you have been called to testify for a crime that would have been quite serious. Perhaps it would have been murder. Perhaps it would have been stealing a goat or stealing a chicken or perhaps even adultery. You live in that time, in that day. There is no DNA. There is no video or audio recording. There are no fingerprints. It all comes down to the truthfulness of your testimony. This person's reputation, their life hangs on your witness. Now, if the penalty is capital punishment, which it often was back in those days, this is what would happen. You would be called to testify. Did he do it? Yes. Did you see it? Yes. Pick up a stone and throw it. That will show that your testimony is true. You would have had to throw the stone if you witnessed and then you testified. See why the ninth commandment matters? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In the courtroom, the character of your neighbor is at stake. 
Are they going to be treated fairly? Are they going to get a just hearing? Are they going to be represented rightly? In the courtroom, your neighbor's experience of justice or injustice hangs in the balance on your testimony and your witness. When I was a little kid, I loved stories. I loved it when my mom would sit us, me and my sisters, down and tell us a story. So here we go. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, there was a king, and this king had a palatial palace. It was amazing. And one day, while he was standing in his palatial palace, he overlooked on his balcony, and there to the left, outside of his palace, was a vineyard. Oh, he liked this vineyards. They were growing the plushest of vines and grapes, and he watched it, and he watched the man who tended to this vineyard. And so he decided, I'm going to go, and I'm going to ask that man. I'm king. I'm going to go ask that man for his vineyard. What I'll do is I'll offer him some cash for that vineyard, and then if he doesn't want that, maybe what I could do is I can find him a vineyard that's even better than what he's got. So surely he'll be attracted to that. So finally, this king works up the nerve to go to this man, and he goes to this man and he says, hey, nice vineyard. I really like it. It would make your king very happy if you let me buy it. Or I can, if you don't want me to buy it, I mean, maybe I can just trade you and I'll give you a better vineyard. So this man turns to the king and says, you know what, my dad and my dad's dad, they were actually given this vineyard. And uh, I I don't want to part with it. And the king left and he was sad. Picture king going home, mopey, sad. King, right, lays down on his bed. He's deciding not to eat. He's tossing and turning, and his wife walks in and says, hey, king, what's the matter? Why are you so sad? Why are you so miserable? He said, oh, well, I went over to the vineyard. I went over to the guy who owns the vineyard, and I asked him if he would give me the vineyard, and he wouldn't do it, and I'm just, I'm so sad. She said, you're the king. She said, leave it with me. I'll fix it up for you. So the wife begins to write letters on the king's paper with the king's seal and sending it to the elders of this man who owns the vineyard. The queen devises an incredible plan. What she does, because she knows I need two witnesses, we need to come up with with an accusation against this man. So she does. She writes to the elders and she says, find two worthless men, that's four, two worthless men, and have them testify against this man. Here's what you testify. Testify that he's uh, denounced God and he denounced the king. And so, a few weeks later, the owner of the vineyard gets a letter from the, from the king. And this letter says, you need to show up for this hearing. You've been accused. So, this man shows up. Goes up onto the stage or onto the front of the room One worthless man sits on this side. One worthless man sits on this side. The guy's a little bit confused as to what he's done, but the witnesses say he's actually cursed God and he's cursed the king. They take the man out. The two witnesses pick up stones and they throw it and they kill him. 
the king gets the land. Do you know who the queen was? Jezebel. The man was Naboth, and the king was Ahab. 1 Kings 21. Trampled victims. Such is the effect of false witnesses. Bearing a false witness is condemned in Scripture for obvious reasons, because it tarnishes the reputation of a fellow Israelite. That is not the way that we're supposed to treat our fellow members in our community. It costs Naboth his life and his family. And do you know what? It affects the whole community because of a lie. Being a false witness is also condemned for another reason. Not only is it harmful for your neighbor, but it demonstrates a disregard for God's character. There is a responsibility to live honestly under the gaze of God, even in a courtroom. And the Israelites know that Yahweh is just. He is holy and he is just, and they are to emulate this holy and just God. You know, there's not many times that we get a real clear understanding of, of what God is like. Well, we do, but as you read scripture, I don't think there's a more pronounced sort of description of what God doesn't like. Look at these words from Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Proverbs 6, 6 to 19, 16 to 19 reads this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Friends, every single one of these things can be laid at the foot of a false witness. But yet in contrast, in Proverbs 12:22 we read that those who act faithfully are his delight. God hates lying, and yet truth is his delight. God is just as in, and is concerned with justice and he expects his image bearers to do the same. We are called to tell the truth in our witnesses, particularly when it comes to the courtroom. You know, just as other commandments reach way beyond the immediate language of the commandment, so too is the ninth commandment. This commandment calls for a hatred of falsehood and a love for the truth in every area of our life. Let me be clear here. The courtroom concerns, it's about God's reputation. It's about my neighbor's reputation. These concerns are meant to be taken outside of the courtroom as well, into every area of life. Am I concerned in my speech for God's honor? And am I concerned for my brother and sister's honor. How appropriate is this? I wonder, have you ever concerned, I mean, because I've had the privilege of studying this passage, but have you ever considered how far back the battle of truth begins? I mean, from the earliest days of creation, in the creation account in the garden, there in the beauty of the garden, a battle of cosmic significance over truth begins. 
when the serpent took the words of God and he twisted them? Do you remember what he said to Eve? Did God really say? And then his account of God moved from twisting and insinuating to just a downright bold lie. You'll surely not die. The very entrance of sin came into the world through a false witness breathing out lies about the character and the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of our God. And when the bait was thrown out to Adam and Eve, they ate. And sin entered our world through a doorway of a lie. The safety and the beauty of the garden then turns into a place of hiding and accusations and hostility. God, the righteous judge, get this, in that garden setting, comes down. And you know what? He could have come down with anger and a vengeance and he could have wiped them out. But instead, instead, God brings a promise. He brings a promise of redemption and he begins to set it into motion. And here is the unfolding drama of redeeming grace. Just as that promise was made in the garden, we've seen it with the children of Israel. The children of Israel have been rescued all by grace, not of their own merit. And here they are gathered on the base of Mount Sinai and here is the ninth commandment. You see, don't miss what God's doing. God's preparing his people He wants them to go into a new land. He wants them to be a new people, but he wants them to be concerned about their speech and all of their life. So embedded in this ninth commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor is an understanding. An understanding that sinful speech must be forsaken. It must be forsaken and and God-honoring speech is to be prized in every area of our life. And this is no surprise to you all. I mean, I've had grandparents and parents who've taught me not to lie. You've had parents and grandparents who've probably taught you not to lie. And they've had parents and grandparents. I mean, all throughout history, there has been a concern for truth-telling, for not bearing false witness. So have you ever heard of the Heidelberg Catechism? I think this is a great summary of the truth and what we're aiming for. Here it is. That I never... Give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip, not slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in accord and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love truth, speak it candidly and openly, acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. What a wonderful meditation of this ninth commandment. But that's not necessarily our experience today, is it? I mean, in the 21st century, we're not governed by these words. We're not governed by this catechism. We don't actually see this playing out in movies or on the shows, Survivor, Outwit, Outsmart, Outlaust. I mean, it's almost expected that you're going to be lied to, is it not? We, we see our governmental officials telling white lies. We see it in social media. But for us, God's word provides us with the clarity that we need. 
Here's what I want you to take away. God's word raises the standards of our speech. His word calls us to want our words to be in line with the glory of God, the glory of his justice, and the well-being of our neighbors. Do you think like this? Uh, This week, I was in a coffee shop preparing, and as I was studying this, um, I think the people next to me thought I was a freak because I started tearing up and tears were rolling down my eyes because I I know for myself, I have not thought the glory of God when I speak. And I haven't thought about my neighbor's honor as I've spoken. So I've had to stop and consider, what does the Bible command us to forsake in our speech? One of the things that God's word commands us to forsake is flattery. You guys ever think about that? Are you flattering people? Do you flatter people? What is flattery? Our Kent Hughes says something, saying something, Get this, this is tricky. Flattery is saying something to a person's face that you would never say behind their back. It's excessive, insincere praise. Whose benefit? Whose benefit do you say, is that so that you're positioned better? Is it for your own favor? so that people look well on you and think highly of you. So you don't really believe what you're saying about people. You're just hoping to benefit yourself. Can you see how that doesn't glorify God? That doesn't honor your neighbor? Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates its victim and a flattering mouth works ruin, destroys Another speech practice that we're called to forsake is exaggeration. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you can excuse humor, you know, so say like I caught a fish and it was this big. Or, you know, when Brendan exaggerates that he's better looking than me, we just know that's not true. Um, (laughs) Think about why we exaggerate and what it is. Exaggerating is a statement that makes something worse or better than it really is. Let's think about how we fill out our resumes. Are we truthful? Are we exaggerating? How often we do fitness? Why are you laughing? (laughs) Another thing that we can do is we can exaggerate, which is so sad, but we can exaggerate about friendships. Oh, I know them so well. Oh, yeah, they're the best. Oh, we're so close. When's the last time you met with them? Oh, well, we had a phone conversation. We exaggerate on friendships. For what purpose? Exaggerating is telling stories in such a way as we're trying to make ourselves look good. And we're forsaking God's glory. What about gossip? Gossip typically entails passing along a report that cannot be substantiated. Now, sometimes we do pass along reports that we know to be true. It's not our story to tell. Whatever the content, it's not our place to hand off this information. Sometimes we do it for impact. Sometimes we do it for selfish gain. 
You know, we live in a time and a place where we are so inundated with gossip. I mean, we find it everywhere. But seeped within this, we don't actually know if it's true or not. You can't really even trust fact checkers anymore, can you? Gossip is destructive, and we possibly all know the effects. But can I tell you another story? There was a little boy who was told something by his friend at school. So he went to share that with somebody else, and they shared that with somebody else, and it was very personal and private. And this little boy found out that his friend had told him this very confidential and private information, and it ripped him apart. He was devastated, almost wanted to leave the school. He was so embarrassed. But the little boy that shared the story didn't realize the impact that it would have. And so he decided he was going to go see his granddad because he knew his granddad wouldn't lie to him. So the little boy goes, runs over to his grandpa's house. And he says, Grandpa, I've made a mess. I need help. Grandpa says, what's the matter? He said, Grandpa, I hurt my best friend. He's upset. He's crying. Grandpa said, what'd you do? He said, well, he told me a secret. And now the whole school knows. And now the story's much bigger than what it really is. But the little boy, my friend, he's pretty upset. Grandpa, what do I do? Grandpa says, go go get a chicken from the chicken shed and bring it to me. Little boy goes, okay. Little boy goes and grabs chicken, brings it over to Grandpa. Grandpa takes the chicken, cuts its head off puts it in a bag, said, come on, let's go, get in the, let's go get in the truck. Grandpa and the little boy get in the truck, and they go out, they live in the country, there's a canal bank, and the grandpa says, I want you to start walking along this canal bank, and I want you to pluck the chicken feathers. I want you to drop them on the ground. So the little boy looks at his grandpa, he's are you sure? Yep, yep, that's what I want you to do. <clears throat> and then I want you to come back and see me, and we'll drive home. Little boy begins to pluck the chickens and he's walking for a while, finishes, gets in the car. Grandpa says, okay, I'll see you tomorrow after school. I want you to come after school. The little boy couldn't stop thinking about the chicken and plucking the feathers and couldn't wait to get home from the school bell to ring and he gets, uh, the school bell rings, he rushes home, runs to grandpa's house, grandpa's waiting, jump in the car to go back to the canal bank. They stand along the canal bank. They can see the feathers, but they're everywhere. Grandpa says to his little grandson, I want you to go pick up those chicken feathers. Little boy says, Grandpa, that's impossible. They're scattered all over the place. Grandpa said, that's what happens when you gossip. You can't go and collect everything. It scatters. Sometimes you can't undo it. I'm sure many of you can relate to the spreading of gossip at one time or another, whether you were the part of spreading the gossip or whether you are the one being gossiped about. But would we forsake this practice of gossip? You know, Proverbs actually testifies that the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to our inner parts, don't they? Proverbs 18.8, they're just delicious. 
tell me more. Really? Come on, give me a bit more. Is that all you know? Delicious morsels. What are delicious morsels for you? Chocolate chips. Um, I was thinking of my wife here. She really loves those hot chips, you know. You can get um, chicken salt or salt on them. Just, you know, a good cup of hot chips for my wife will just, like, rock her world. And so, you know, but I mean, there's other people that have just, like, what are the delicious morsels that you just, oh, you put them in and you just, mm, they go down and it's like, ah, you know what, how you can tell, guys, you know how you can tell what delicious morsels are? If your wife's pregnant, watch what she eats. That's, <laughs> she can <laughs> eat the chips or the crazy food. But anyway, delicious morsels go down into your bodies. But do you know what? Like delicious morsels, so too are bad things. How quickly we can forget good things, but we remember bad things. We remember the things we've heard about, the bad things about another person. They go down deep inside. They find a home in us and they stay with us and it affects how we think about that person. You know, just like morsels, they're hard to deny. It's very hard to tell somebody, no, 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 thank you, I don't want that. But yet it takes a ninth commandment conviction where you pause and you ask, is this news about my neighbor good for his or her reputation? Is this substantiated or unedifying story a good, reputation, a good reputation of my God who loves justice? Okay, okay I, I don't want to be a part of this then. Why? Because it's actually a device of the devil. So before you share something with another, let the ninth commandment convictions cause you to ask, will the person that I'm talking about be glad I'm saying these things about them. Another good question you can ask yourself, what about the other people that are in this conversation? The people that we are talking about, um, can we say with certainty that these listeners are part of God's intended circle of help for the person that I'm talking about? Sometimes they are, but most often they're not. God's words comes to raise our standard of speech, my friends. And the ninth commandment calls us to be vigilant in shutting up gossip and shutting it all down. You know, a close companion to gossip is slander. So what is slander? Slander is passing along what is false or unsubstantiated. And to this, the scriptures make very clear, spreading a false report is forbidden. If you have a look on the screen, Exodus 23, 1 to 3 says this. This is God saying, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. You shall, uh, uh, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. I mean, this, is a, this gives us a real recall to pause and consider. Before I forward a story, before I press forward or before I pass a message on, I know that this could potentially be harmful to someone else's reputation. So instead of passing that on, I'm going to run that through the filter of, does this bring honor to my God? And does this bring honor and protection for my neighbor? 
before I add my comment of dismay to an online verdict, before I pass on a negative report, would I think clearly about the command of Scripture, you shall not spread a false report. It's far too easy to fall in line with the many who do evil. The apostles, at their warning, Apostle Paul says that those who do this hate God. James says that it's demonic behavior. Even Jesus, our Savior, reveals that the source of our behavior, it's out of the overflow of our hearts. And that out of the overflow of our hearts comes false witnesses. It comes slandering. This is what defiles a person, Jesus says. Now, I want to say something to you, friends, about this ninth commandment that can be somewhat hurt. But this commandment does not happen because of difficult circumstances. Your difficult circumstances do not allow us liberties to gossip or to slander. Please understand, it is because of evil in our hearts, not because of our circumstances. Evil desires that emerge into words and things we write that serve only to defile those around us. Friends, be aware you are susceptible to slander. We've got to stop. Recent studies have tried to explain. Researchers say that bad news is kind of like Velcro. It just sticks and you don't forget it. Now, this may be true, but there is a more deeper and authoritative dynamic going on. And slander finds its way to the soul and it sticks. And this distorts how we view people. So be careful. In God's word, we see the best of men slandered about. John the Baptist was slandered about. Jesus was slandered about. Remember, Stephen was slandered about. Falsely accused. And now mercifully, mercifully, we as part of the Israel-like community, as part of the body of Christ. Some of us have participated in the offenses of adultery and murder and theft, and we have graciously and generously received forgiveness in Christ. You know, whenever we disobey a commandment of God, there is forgiveness. We have been forgiven But I want you to know something. There are oftentimes consequences for when we deliberately disobey God. We actually can destroy the character of our brothers and sisters with the sin. You know, Proverbs 21.1 says, A good name is to be chosen. Your good name is your reputation. It represents your character in the mind of others. There was a secretary of one of the presidents who was accused of defrauding. He lost everything. He had made a good name for himself and for his family, and he worked very, very hard. But he was accused falsely. It finally came out. It went in through all the court systems, and he was proven innocent. And this man, after it was all done, the dust was settled, and his name was clear. What he said was, what office do I go to now to get my reputation back? Where do you go to regain a good name that has been slandered? God hates it, my friends, when we speak evil of his name and when we speak evil of others. 
God hates slanders, so please, friends, forsake slandering. Now, there's one more thing that we need to be careful of in our, in our speech in everyday life. You know, you can also wrong others by your silence. When an accusation is spreading, when the morsels are being handed out, if we passively watch, then we are an accomplice to evil. Don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's not only wrong to gossip, it's not only wrong to slander, it's wrong to listen to gossip and slander. And many, many, many times it is right to hold our tongues when it comes to gossip and slander. But when evil is being spoken, let's resolve to stop the flow of slander. Maybe you break in with an appeal like, I don't know if the facts are, are all here, so let's stop this conversation. Or maybe you could say, I'm not convinced we're honoring God here. I don't know that we're honoring others. If these are too difficult to say, perhaps you need to repent of the fear of man. Man-pleasing may be why we don't speak up. This is to, yeah. If that is so, you need to ask God for help. Please don't keep silent because that's part of disobeying the ninth commandment. You know, this ninth commandment shows us speech that is to be pursued, embraced, and cherished. And one of them is this exercise of charitable judgments. Do you have charitable judgments? This is something that um, my brothers in, in, in Christ have been helping me with, is having charitable judgments. Now, when we hear or read something negative about our neighbor, neighbor, we should not rush to judgment or to reach a conclusion. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love bears all things. It's going to believe all things. It's going to hope all things. And this alone will help us move forward with a heart of justice and mercy. Accusations might be wrong. So if you don't wait, you can miss evidence. Another thing that we can do is we can slow down and believe the best. That's what the ninth commandment calls us to. How can we possibly know the intentions of another's heart? God's the only one who, who knows. God's the only one that can know because he's God and he knows all things. But I often don't even know the intentions of my own heart. So Lord, how far be it from me that I have a monopoly on other people's hearts. And it's not until I spend time under the light of God's word that I can, my, my intentions are revealed. So, second guess yourself that you know the intentions of, others heart, of another's heart. This ninth commandment calls us to have a deep concern for the reputation of those around us. Friends, if you look around at your brothers and sisters. Do you have a deep concern for their reputation? Do you have a deep concern for the reputation of your Savior? I wonder... You hear this morning and you're caught in lies. Are you lying? Only God can untangle the mess of our lives, our lies. Maybe you've hidden a lie for no one to find. But you know what? You can't get away from it. The nagging, sleepless nights going to get found out. Run with fear. I would encourage you to go home and read Psalm 32. Allow the words of King David to minister to your soul. 
because you know what? Here's the truth and the exciting news. Honest confessions bring you out of darkness and into the light, and the difference it makes is amazing. King David experienced great relief. You need to know that there's a father of lies, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to pick you off. You've got a father of lies, and you've got a father of truth who wants to lead you to himself and to the truth and the joy of walking in the light of truth. Silence leaves you exposed to the father of lies. The side of the cross, we know that God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse, and he does through Christ's sacrifice. David experienced this wonderful covering as he ceased his hiding behind a lie. And the reality is, is that just bef- that before a just and holy God, every single one of us has fallen short. This ninth commandment alone is enough to leave you and I condemned and hopeless. In a holy courtroom that matters, the courtroom of a just and holy God, evidence is stacked high just in my life with regards to this ninth commandment just and a righteous God. He so loved me in my lostness, in my lying, that he sent his only son into the world, the one who called himself the way and the truth and the life. His son not only perfectly obeyed the ninth commandment, but all of the commands while he lived on this earth. You see, Jesus taught us with truthful lips, He knows what is true. He is what is true. And he teaches us and calls us from a mouth that has never sinned. But get this. It was at the hands of a lying mob that he was ushered unjustly to the cross. Convicted like a criminal, unjustly. And it was there that he bore the just wrath of God for our sin. For our sinful speech. For our defiled hearts. God made him who knew no sin to be sin with your sin, with my sin, with your lying lips, with my lying lips, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And friends, there's more to this story. You see, freed from the power of sin, freed by the power of the resurrected Son of God. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit called? The Spirit of truth. We know the life and the joy that comes from being transformed by the truth. The truth of the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. So what is the final way the ninth commandment produces a concern for God's glory and my neighbor's good? Tell the truth as a Christian. Tell the truth as a follower of the father of truth. In Christ, the truth will transform and it will send me out into the lives of others. And it does for you too. It sends you out into the lives of others. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A saving knowledge of Christ continues to transform our speech this side of the cross. 
It's incredible. And you know what's so interesting is that in Matthew, there was a practice that started happening in Jesus' day, and they were swearing by things. They were making oaths. And so Jesus says, look, don't swear by those things. You don't even own those things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. God is the one that rules all things that we're swearing on, but simply be a man or a woman of integrity. Total honesty is what is required in our speech. And so now, for those of us who are transformed by the gospel in our speech, who love the gospel of truth, it's only right and fitting that we cherish that which is true. It will inform our answers, whether it be yes or no. We live in keeping with consistency with our answers. Ephesians 4, Paul takes up this idea of speaking the truth and he says, speak the truth in love. Put falsehoods far from you. Let each one speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. We know the truth and the truth has freed us to walk no longer in any falsehood but to speak the truth into the lives of one another. You know, one of the misunderstandings that we can have of the verse of speak the truth in love is that we often think, well, that just frees us up to speak our mind. Well, honey, do you like the dinner? No, it sucks. That's honest, right? Do you like what I'm wearing? Uh, Well, but I'm told to speak the truth, right? We don't want to do that. That's not what this is calling us to. Instead, what it means is that we have been transformed by the truth, so we take that truth and we let it, let it inform our conversations as Christians, and the result will be that we speak to one another in love. Honey, thank you for making that dinner. It's just not my favorite. If you never made it again, I'd be really blessed, but no. <laughs> Speak the truth to one another in a heart of love. Speak the truth of who God is. Speak the truth of what he's done, the relevance. But we're all going to be growing up into Christ who is the head. Guys, we have been saved by the truth that we might love the truth, that we might worship by the truth, that we will grow alongside one another together in Christ who is the head. Here in this local church, friends, I don't want you to miss this ninth commandment for our good. This truth can reign in all of our lives. It will inform our singing as we sing to one another. Our teaching is the truth, our listening. And when we come together in the context, we want the truth to reign in our hearts. Why? Because we care ultimately about the glory of God. We care about the reputations of our brothers and sisters. And because of the transforming power of the gospel, it starts to shape the dimensions of what we are burdened about, what we love, what we're passionate about, what we prioritize. These things resemble the burdens and the loves and the priorities of the holy God. You know, we get the privilege. We get the privilege to bear witness to the one who has transformed our lives at the cross and his resurrection. 
every conversation with a believer, Simon and Walker and I, we can have a conversation together and he can be telling me truth and I can be encouraging him with truth. I can also have a conversation with unbelievers and I've got to work creatively on how to tell them the truth because I've been called to be a truth bearer, to be an image bearer of the one who is truth we will have opportunities to have honest conversations. Friends, think about the honest conversations you can have at work with regarding hot topics that go on in the office. Should I be living with my boyfriend? Well, should I be sleeping with my boyfriend? Mm. Should I be, what, what, what do you make of you know, euthanasia? What do you make of abortion? You can't, how do we speak the truth in love. We have an opportunity. We've been called to go out. We're a holy people that have been called to go out and speak the truth because this truth transforms. And then get this, guys. Don't weary on the journey that God has got you on, on that path that God's called us to, because this is it, guys. On that last day, we're going to be like him. Can you imagine? We are going to be in his presence, the one who is truth, the one who bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we could be at peace with him. Oh, one day we are going to be like him and we shall behold him and we shall see him face to face forevermore. But we're here. He hasn't left us. You're not alone. Please be truth tellers. Um, it's not in my notes. Cassie came forward and she said to me, I've got this word. And when she told it to me, seriously, chills went up my spine because here's the picture that I've had through the week. We can so easily feel condemned about our practices, but here is the truth. When the sun comes up, it sheds light on the darkness. Let the Holy Spirit convict you because he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that there is therefore now no condemnation. I've been tempted to be condemned this week because I know I have misrepresented my father in being a truth teller, but I'm not discouraged and I'm not down. All I can do is go, God, thank you. You are so great that you would have a freak like me in your family, that I'm an enemy of you at one time, and now I'm seated at your table, and you know my name. Oh, praise his name. If you are in, caught up in a lie, I plead with you this day, go and make it right. Go to your brother or your sister and make it right. You will, speak, you will live in such freedom. Oh, guys, it is a joy to walk in the light. It's, there is something thrilling about staying close and near to the cross of Jesus because as you let that truth pour out on you, oh, you're just amazed. He's a great savior. So, friends, the ninth commandment is for our good. It raises our standard of speech in the courtroom, everyday life. And if you're a Christian, oh, all the more. 
because we represent the Father of truth. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your word that is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, I pray by your spirit of truth that that would flood our hearts right now and that we would hear your invitation to raise the standard of our speech with hope and with joy and with gladness. Father, thank you for sending a son who knew no sin so that we could be seen as the righteousness of God. Oh, you are good and we love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.